0: Connecticut Democrats or Connecticut as they have never been called welcome back folks we're back with episode 11 of Connecticut Crats to CT Democrats podcast I'm your co-host Michael Cerulli
1: and I'm Dave Kostek with the Connecticut Democratic Party
0: it's good to see you again Dave it's been a while
1: it has been it's been a month it's been a month and a couple of days and we had the big election and last time we spoke we didn't know the outcome And now we do. Yes, we do. You want to tell the people what happened?
0: So in case you haven't heard, folks, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be our next president and vice president. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh,
1: fantastic.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yep. Conspiracy theorists be damned, They the, the next president and vice president will be Joe and Kamala. So, um, And here in Connecticut, we picked up uh, some great wins, too. We picked up a couple state Senate seats and a handful, more than a handful of uh, state House seats, including many former guests of the podcast. And this week, we'll be recapping uh, the election, doing some analysis, talking to some Connecticut folks and talking to someone uh, who's more of a national political figure, CNN political analyst and legendary Democratic strategist, Joe Trippi.
1: I spoke with Susan Bigelow from Connecticut News Junkie and Jim Jinks, who had the closest race in Connecticut this year. And unfortunately, we wound up on the short end of that particular stick by seven votes. So if you're listening in Cheshire or Wallingford and you didn't vote, we are mad at you. If you did <laughs> and voted for Jim, well, you should you should be proud of yourselves because uh, he's just a fantastic candidate, a great guy, and it was a lovely conversation.
0: Yep. And I, you know what? I, I think, that, think of that old phrase of you can tell a lot about a person by how they win, but you can tell even more by how they lose. Um, and Jim Jinx, uh, with a close race, didn't resort to any of the tactics that we're seeing now from national Republicans, uh, accepted it, embraced democracy, even though the outcome this time wasn't in his favor. And for that, we're really grateful for him. So those conversations with Joe Trippy, Jim Jinx, and the great Susan Bigelow of Connecticut News Junkie are coming up next on Connecticut <music> I am so honored to have on the podcast today a legend of Democratic politics, uh, someone who's been in the game for a long time and and knows a thing or two about how to win races. Uh, Joe Trippi joins us uh, today on the podcast. Joe, how are you? Good, good to be with you. So let's start by recapping it. um, At the top of the ticket, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris rebuilt the blue wall, uh, flipped the states in the Southwest, and flipped the state of Georgia. What went right, in your opinion, uh, sort of top line views for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? I thought throughout the uh, entire
2: campaign, the primaries and through the general, that Biden was uh, uniquely positioned to back when no one thought he could win the nomination. I mean, when, when it was, you know, the day he announces is going to be his big day, his biggest day, um, that he was clearly uh, the right contrast with Trump, um, that eventually Democrats would come to him uh, in big numbers and he would win the nomination. Uh, and I think that same contrast, uh, it, again, it was his contrast with Trump that, um, uh, g- just gave him a real leg up, not only in the primaries, but obviously, you know, the con- Trump was never going to be able to change that contrast. Uh, and I thought the whole time I was seeing, um, the 1980 presidential mm-hmm. election, uh, play out because, uh, In 1980, uh, you had Carter, Democrat, but a failed presidency Mm -hmm. in terms of popularity. uh, A lot of uh, real problems in the economy, Uh, double-digit inflation, double-digit interest rates. They called it the misery index. And also every (laughs) night on television, every night on television, um, there was a countdown on how many days the Iranian hostages had been, or Mm -hmm. hostages had been held by the Iranians day 431, day 432. I mean, it was literally the same thing that we were seeing on television here right. uh, in 2020 with Trump and the coronavirus. I I was right about that, <laughs> it turns yes. out. Um, that uh, uh, he was going to get a, a historic uh, popular vote number as well as a uh, historic percentage uh, uh, getting to where he is now over 51% um, that's better than Reagan did in eighty, mm-hmm. uh, and it, you have to go back to nineteen thirty-two um, right. to to get see that kind of result. So there's no 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 doubt as you point as you point out, rebuilding the blue wall, taking Arizona, uh, flipping Arizona and Georgia, this uh, very big. But what I didn't see, and I don't think anybody saw, uh, was the counterpart of that, which the the Pre- Trump had so successfully uh, Mm -hmm. polarized and divided the country that he would end up being the second, uh, get the second most votes in history for president. Uh, And the problem with that is uh, where he was turning those people out, uh, mostly uh, Republicans in in the rural areas uh, on the edge of the suburbs uh, were places that uh, a lot of uh, these battleground states or mm-hmm. seats um, particularly in the house uh, were in jeopardy if, they, if, they, if that bigger turnout happened and it did. And uh, I think that's why both the in the House we lost seats. Uh, it's why in the in the Senate, um, there's a different thing on the Senate I'll talk about in a minute. Yep. but the bigger damage was not winning any of the legislative fights. yeah uh, yep. the, the Texas State House was in play. Well, not of those people turned out. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yep. so that is that is a bigger problem because of reapportionment, uh, redrawing of lines that are now going to come uh, and, and the uh, House seats in 2022 are going to be in either, even bigger jeopardy than usual, I think. But on the Senate, what's going on, it's really fascinating, is for three cycles in a row now, uh, presidential cycles, whoever won... The state for president also won the contested Senate race. In hey. other words, the, there was no ticket splitting right, going right. on, and so the only person, the only candidate uh, in those three cycles to avoid that uh, uh, was uh, Collins in, in Maine. She's the only one. And if you look at Arizona, Biden yep. won. Yep. Mark Kelly won. You look at uh, you look at Georgia, Biden won two two people in a runoff there. Yeah, and we'll uh we'll talk you, about you that look a at. It, too. Too. Right. Yeah. Colorado. Uh Biden won. Uh uh Hickenlooper, Hickenlooper, Hickenlooper won. So the the uh the only place where that didn't happen uh was Maine, uh where where Biden won, but Collins uh pulled it pulled out a significant yeah. win there. Um but that's a disturbing trend because uh, if that keeps up, if that polarization stays there, and you don't have any ticket splitters, uh, then look—you know, uh, there's too many Idaho's, Wyoming's, <laughs> Montana's, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, small red states um, that that put the Senate pretty permanently at a fifty-fifty kind of of split. We've got yeah. Democrats have to start when, and that's where the the big heartbreak for me was Alabama with yeah. with Doug Jones. Yeah. There was just no way we could fight that, that surge uh, uh, that red surge in rural Alabama. Yeah. And for listeners that
0: it's... might not know, you played a very integral role in Doug Jones's win in 2017 in that special election, um, which I guess could bring us into another topic, which is you've had deep experience in the, in the South, uh, where, where Democrats right. recently have not been faring too well. Uh, we have two Senate runoffs coming up in Georgia. Um, Based on your experience and based on what we've just seen, um, you know, Joe Biden did win the state of Georgia, but, you know, the Senate races, we didn't have enough to pull it off there yet. But what needs to be done in order to fix the mistakes that we made, for example, South Carolina or North Carolina in order to pull something out in Georgia?
2: Well, again, I think, look, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, even uh, Alabama, uh, you had that uh, Trump surge. Uh, that was created by him. I okay. mean, those people were turning out for Donald Trump uh, in rural Alabama. I don't think they were turning out for Tuberville. I don't think they were turning <laughs> out for for Purdue or Loeffler. Mm. I think they were turning out for for Trump. Um, the same in North Carolina. Um, and so, the 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 difference is Trump's not on the ballot in Georgia on January fifth, uh, which is the same difference for uh, why. Uh, 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 we were able to win in Alabama in 2017. January 5th is a lot like December 12th <laughs> that night. That night in in Alabama was on December 12th. It was not on a presidential mm-hmm. election day. The same is true for January 5th. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, which th- this Georgia is a t- completely turnout election. That's all it is. It's not persuasion. It's, mm-hmm. it's not anything but turning out the, the vote. So you have to ask yourself, unlike Alabama, by the way, where we didn't have a party or anybody, uh, you know, basically no one had run in Alabama for the Senate 25 years. There hadn't been a contested Democratic, you mm-hmm. know, a shot for a Democrat to win. So there wasn't a, a, a strong organization There's Stacey Abrams and a lot of other Democrats in Georgia have been building that organization mm-hmm. for ten years to get. I mean, that's what got right, Biden right, into the position the to, there. to win it over the edge. So you have to ask yourself. I, I do. Uh, you know that organization is still in place and feeling pretty damn good, right? I mean, like, <laughs> hey, sure. we we just turned the state blue for Biden. You know, we got to keep doing this for till January fifth. Yep. Not to mention On the, the hundred
0: million dollars that's going to flow in there over the next uh, right. month or so.
2: Right, and then you have. Uh, Let's look at the other side. So uh, first I could, so I see why we could replicate uh, whether it's 80% of that turnout, that that record turnout that happened in Georgia. Mm -hmm. I I see how how Stacey Abrams, Osaf, Warnock, the entire uh, Democratic uh, grassroots could, 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 because neither side's going to get 100% of what happened on on November 3rd. Uh, And then you look over on the other side and there's Trump's not on the ballot. He's trashed the, the Republican governor and the Republican <laughs> secretary of state and the Republican election officials uh, for not being for either being incompetent or being inept at stopping the corruption and the fraud that stole the <laughs> election from him. Uh, uh, they're out there certifying, doing three different recounts. So uh, uh, and I think a lot of those Trump voters have to ask have been asking themselves, like, why am I going to vote for these schmucks? uh you i mean look they're lousy candidates yeah that's another uh, and, <laughs> they're not particularly they're, no, no, strong no. senators yeah they're not they're not great 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 candidates and and uh a lot of those trump voters want to drain the swamp and you've got the two best poster child for for the washington swamp mm-hmm. uh and two inside traders who were who were trading on the covid crisis and making millions uh while uh while they wouldn't uh vote to to extend unemployment benefits for anybody I, yeah. i'm not sure the i don't see the same energy um I, I put it this way if you if you if you told me hey one party's going to be able to turn out 80 percent of what they did on november mm-hmm. 3rd and the other party's going to turn out 75 <laughs> percent of what they did on november 3rd i think if you step back weren't even partisan about it just really looked at those facts yeah. the facts i just laid out i'd bet on the part on Democrats being the party that can turn out 80%. Mm-hmm. And I and I see the Republicans in being in a position where I'm not sure they could turn out 75% of what they turned out on November 3rd. Why the person that turned that out was, wasn't was some organization in Georgia, Republican yeah, no. organization, wasn't those two candidates, it was Trump. And we saw what happened when Trump wasn't on the ballot in November of uh, 2018. Mm-hmm uh right democrats won all those houses that's what i'm saying If this wasn't a um a presidential election year i think democrats would have picked up uh seats in the house it was that it was that trump surge Mm -hmm. that that um i think you know the question is will that trump surge still be there on january 5th and some of those people are just going to be depressed that that uh the election was certified, and he's not president anymore. Yeah, or, some of them or, discouraged, yeah, or, or discouraged. Yeah, or yeah, discouraged and thinking
0: the whole system is fraudulent, which is another helpful right. thing that they've done for us. Down yeah, there. that's
2: what. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if you look at all those different reasons why a Republican uh, might be less inclined to vote on January 5th, and why a Democrat might be just as on fire to to uh, to, to vote for Ossoff and Warnock, and yeah. the way those two candidates complement each other. Uh, in a way that Lo- Lo- Loeffler and Purdue uh, amplify each other's insider trading scandals. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, yeah. uh, Warnock and Ossoff actually complement each other in terms of who might be excited about voting for one or the other, right, and, right. and and they both show up. So I, I actually feel pretty good about Georgia. Uh, hey, it's going to be a dogfight. You know, as you yeah. know, there's going to be a hundred, couple hundred million, right, maybe half right. a billion by the time we get to election day. <laughs> it's going to be insane. But I also don't not sure that um, unless you're spending um, 50 million dollars of that to get people out to vote. I'm not sure the TV ads attacking each other and all that stuff. I don't really think that the money on television is going to have, you know, give them each a billion bucks each (laughs) and fight it out. Yeah. I don't really think that's where the fight's going to be. I think it's going to be on the ground and who
0: can turn their vote out. now go over to Dave for his conversation with Jim Jinks and Susan Bigelow.
1: As we're recording this, it is one month since the election, and uh, what an election year it was. We're uh, joined today by Jim Jinks, who was a candidate in the 90th House District, which wound up being the closest race in the state. Uh, And Jim came up just a couple of votes short of uh, taking over a Republican seat and flipping uh, that from red to blue. And we're also joined by Susan Bigelow, analyst and columnist at Connecticut News Junkie, among other places, also an author and uh, a longtime analyst on this on the scene in Connecticut. If you've seen maps of elections anywhere in Connecticut in the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, odds are Susan made them. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So uh, when you look at this election overall, Susan, what what really stood out as the sort of dominant trends that made 2020 maybe a little different from previous years?
3: Well, first off, turnout. Turnout was very high, Um, much higher than it's been for similar elections in the past. Um, That certainly does change things. It makes elections harder to predict because you don't necessarily know who's going to show up to the polls. Um, Connecticut was also one of those few places where Democrats really did make some gains in the legislature Uh, that is something that really didn't happen uh, in a lot of other states this year. Uh, So seeing those kinds of gains for Democrats um, as well as that increased turnout, that was sort of the big thing that I noticed. Regionally, uh, there are some big trends happening in the state that uh, the election made pretty clear. So one of the, we're seeing sort of different trends among white people in Connecticut. We see um, parts of the state that uh, are a little more well-educated but there's a lot more money. I'm talking about like the Farmington Valley, the Fairfield County, uh, those places are shifting towards the Democrats. Uh, places where there is a lot, a bit more poverty. And again, this is, um, this is among white people. So this is, this is the kind of ship we're talking about here. Uh, Eastern Connecticut, for example, is shifting away from the Democrats, at least in sort of the more rural towns that are out there. Um, and those are kinds of the big, the big sort of shifts that are going on. So it was, um, it was really a question for a lot of candidates this year about either um, going with those particular trends or bucking them. Um, and that, that's the, those are the big things I take away from from this.
1: And Jim, your uh, your district was uh, or is Cheshire and Wallingford, and uh, to a degree, maybe you saw a microcosm of those trends uh, where you were. When you were going around door to door, was there a lot different between Cheshire and Wallingford? Do you meet different voters? Do you do you wind up talking about different topics?
4: No, you know, not really. Um, the uh, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of a, a difference between Cheshire and Wallingford in terms of. Uh, um, in terms of the, I think just the overall kind of education level and wealth level, I think there's a little bit of a difference, not not a lot, I don't think, but but a little. Um, the, uh, you know, in terms of knocking on the doors and who you know, and talking to voters, really, it was, you know, I, I don't think it'll come as a surprise, but it, COVID was the big issue, really, no matter where you were. Um, and then, uh, you know, especially at the time when we were, you know, kind of going back to school, or parents were thinking about whether or not the kids are going to go back to school, that was the second big concern, which was, you know, obviously COVID related. Um, That that was, those were really the two big issues really throughout the, throughout the election. Um, And it didn't really matter if you were in in Cheshire or Wallingford. So, Um, you know, it, uh, it just, uh, you know, and I think in in talking to candidates around the state, that was really the the same everywhere. That was the big issue.
1: And then when it comes to turnout, um, (laughs) turnout was high, needed to be, just a little bit higher. <laughs> yeah, in Cheshire, Cheshire. I mean, I'm mad at either four or eight people in your two towns.
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's killing me. I keep seeing this uh, this story. I think I think CT Mirror put out a story about the turnout, and the picture on the on the story is of uh, Rock Hill School, which is actually uh, one of my precincts in Wallingford, and there's about eight or nine people in line. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just thinking, those are the people that didn't vote for me. Those people right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but the um, the I keep, I've been seeing that over the last couple of weeks, but so it's kind of funny, but um, yeah, Cheshire turned out, I think it was about 86%. And I believe, I think Watley for it was like 90%. It was, uh, there were not many people that did not vote. And um, it's funny this year with the, uh, with the absentee ballots uh, heading up, you know, right. heading into, heading into the, uh, you know, the last three or four weeks of the election, we, we would see, you know, we could see who had voted, who had who had mailed in their ballots, and um, you know, every day the people on these lists they would go down and down and down. We knew in a lot of cases those were Democrats, but um, it uh, you know it definitely changed the uh, sort of the nature of the last few weeks and and how you how you campaigned and uh, and uh, but you know you could definitely see there's a lot of energy behind uh, behind voting this year.
1: Absolutely. Um- nationwide i don't know how many other states adopted ab's and if there's a big difference in the turnout bump there have you seen anything along those lines like is connecticut a standout there is that one reason we stood out we adopted this whole new absentee ballot system right where everybody could uh apply for and receive an absentee ballot no excuse so or well using the excuse of COVID, which was newly created so uh i don't know if there were too many other states where that was the case susan you do you know Well,
3: a lot of other states have um make it much easier to to vote uh, from remotely uh than we do certainly uh we have we are actually kind of a standout in how restrictive it is for us to vote absentee here uh most of the states either have some kind of early voting or have a much broader vote by mail rules uh that allow people um to, to vote absentee without having to have some kind of an excuse connecticut requires an excuse Many other states don't require an excuse. You can request an absentee ballot. Um, But again, other states took different actions uh, like in Pennsylvania, they they sent out absentee ballots to everybody. Um, Many other states did very similar things, encouraging voting by mail, encouraging absentee balloting. Again, that was one of the reasons why turnout was so high nationwide was because we made it for the, the first time in a long time, we made it nationwide. It was easier for people to vote than it has been in the past. And boy, does that tell us something about what we should be doing to make it easier for people to vote in the future?
1: Absolutely, agreed. Um, and I've seen some candidates are now now o- elected, um, starting to talk about that in the next session. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. look forward to see what comes down the pike. Um, I also want to talk about the sort of effect of the presidential year, right? Every presidential year has higher turnout than off years, than the midterms, and certainly much more than the municipal years. Um, but do you think it was particularly high this year?
3: Obviously, President Trump is is not a popular guy here. Um, I think there was a lot of energy that we saw people wanting to, uh, to get in line and vote, um, make sure that they, they sent that message. But again, there was also increased turnout on the Republican side, because yeah. those people who were supporters of the president tended to be pretty passionate about it. So passions are very high on both sides. Um, and the, the passions, I think, were much higher than they have been uh, for, for presidential years, even in the past. But I think we can compare it to, to 2018 in, in that there was, again, a sort of an increased interest, even in the, in, in the off-year cycle.
1: There were uh, 34 towns that wound up flipping from uh, having voted for Trump last time to, to voting for Biden this time uh, across mm-hmm. Connecticut. Um, however, uh, Trump's total number did go up.
3: Right, exactly, and that's that increased um, passion. Yep. Yeah, and that's what we saw nationwide. Uh, we saw, you know, seventy-four million votes for Donald Trump. Right. That's a lot more than Hillary Clinton got, or any uh, one else losing candidates got in the past. It's a ton. So, and that is again, that's we talk about how the polls kind of missed something, this this particular cycle, and that's that's what they missed. They missed that enthusiasm on the Republican side. Uh, and they missed the fact that there were going to be so many people uh, going to be voting not just against the president, but for the president. That's that's why we saw this huge turnout bump, because it was both sides, both sides going uh, going up. Um, and we, we saw the effects of that here in Connecticut. We saw the effects of that nationwide. And again, you take a look at other, other states where uh, state legislatures either broke a little bit more Republican, uh, did not flip like Uh, like Democrats were hoping that they would, Uh, House seats were lost. Uh, Senate races did not go the way that Democrats were expecting, such as in North Carolina and in Maine, uh, races that they thought were in the bag that turned out not to be the case. Again, is that increased Republican turnout. Uh, The Trump campaign, give them credit. They did a good job at bringing in voters who tended not to be voters in the past, people who hadn't really voted before. uh, They did a good job at tapping those people are finite resources why the president didn't win um but they were enough to make a difference in a lot of these races
1: jim did you find um the biden uh trump dynamic at play at all in your race were people just eager to vote party line one way or the other um in your race or were people dividing their votes splitting their tickets considering i know how i'm voting for president because I think a lot of people were locked in on that. There weren't a whole lot of undecideds this time, but at the state Senate and state house level where people, uh, um, well, differently.
4: Yeah. I mean, definitely there was, so that I, I know that, um, uh, I, I don't want to like tube my own heart here in this case, but <laughs> I know that in one of my precincts in Cheshire, I actually got more votes than Biden did. Um, which, uh, oh. which is, so obviously there's some ticket splitting going on there. Um, I was very surprised to see that. Uh, I do, a Trump I, Jinx voter? Exactly, exactly. And, <laughs> I, and I, in talking to, uh, in talking to April Capone, actually, she she had she had talked to people in campaigning that were, I'm definitely voting for Trump, but I'm also definitely voting for you. So it's like there's very there's it's you, you wouldn't imagine that to be the case, but that was that was the case. Um, yeah, I also did notice uh, in terms of energy on the Democratic side this year, there was. Uh, you, we as a as a as a town committee in Cheshire, we uh, we actually sold Biden signs because people so many people wanted them, so we sold them as a fundraiser, and uh, we sold out of uh, I think a couple hundred of them very quickly, and that's uh, an energy level that we have never seen before for a, a presidential candidate, at least not recently. It certainly wasn't the kind of energy level we saw in 2016 for uh, for Hillary, um, and I definitely heard more than I have heard before. I mean, I haven't been in this that long, but I heard more than I've heard before that. Um, People were voting straight ticket you know straight democrat uh and i heard uh from lots of republicans who were saying i'm i'm still going to vote uh you know i'm not going to vote for trump but i'm going to vote for you or, or you, know, you know that kind of thing so um definitely was some ticket splitting debt but also was a lot of democrats really energetic about voting for all democrats i mean there's the democrats i think as you guys know that they, they, they tend to be the ones that do more ticket splitting than the republicans do the republicans tend to be solidly republican down the line um, but this year was uh, was very different. And that's, you know, we have, we have Trump to thank for that is the,
1: the greatest turnout machine we've ever seen for the Democratic side, I think. Uh, looking ahead a little bit to 2022, um, the state legislative districts could be a little bit different, uh, you know, every districting and who knows what what that will bring. Um, do you have any sort of uh, insight as to what we might see in redistricting, Susan?
3: Well, Last time, redistricting was a gigantic mess. Um, uh, But uh, the legislature sets up a panel of equal number of Republicans and equal number of Democrats uh, to try and sort this stuff out. And last time around, they couldn't. They had to bring in what's called a special master to draw the maps and they had to approve it. I'm guessing it's gonna be the same kind of nonsense this time. Uh, Connecticut, despite a lot of people pressing for this, Connecticut has not reformed its redistricting at all. It continues to be this process that works through the legislature um, where Republicans and Democrats want very, very different things, especially when we're talking about the congressional districts. Uh, Republicans want to try and put themselves back in play. And so there's a lot of disagreement on that. Uh, I'm expecting this to that to be something that's going to drag on. Um, I'm guessing what we're going to get out of it once again is districts that don't look too different from the ones that, that we have now so that that's what i'd expect um it could be we'll see what happens in 2022 that's going to be a, a gubernatorial year um we'll see where ned lamont is on all of that whether he decides to run again or not which we'll probably find out sometime in the next six months to a year uh and we'll see where we go from there
1: all right well we'll be looking forward to, uh, uh, what exactly happens next time. We'll see you. We'll have a podcast just like this a month after the 2022 elections. And hopefully we can have you back on. And one thing I know we'll get more maps. Um, Absolutely. Susan, thank you very much for joining us and Jim Jinks. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. And, um, uh, speaking for myself, I certainly hope to see your hat back in the ring sometime soon. Thank you. We now return to the second half of Michael Cerulli's talk with Joe Trippi.
0: So let's let's go back to the presidential. Um, I've been listening to your commentary on the presidential and you're obviously someone who's done a lot of these races. And one thing that struck me about the Biden campaign is their discipline. And the confidence that they have in that discipline going back to January when they were in fifth place. And I remember trekking up to New Hampshire and, you know, freezing my ass off, you know, knocking doors for the guy who was in fifth place. Um, And they kept saying, look, we're going to we're going to hit it big on Super Tuesday. And they did. And then, you know, COVID hits. It's a general election. People are getting nervous. And they say, look, we're going to rebuild the blue wall. We're going to flip. We're going to flip Arizona. We're going to flip maybe Georgia. And that's exactly what they did. Historically. Have you seen a campaign that's been similar to this one in terms of discipline? Because it strikes me that without the sort of youthful energy of an Obama or a Kennedy and without the, um, or Clinton and without the sort of, uh, inevitableness of some of the challenges that have gone towards incumbent presidents like a Reagan, um, that this was a different race historically. Um, what's what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, uh, they were very disciplined. I think, uh, one of the most disciplined campaigns in my memory, uh, uh, part of that was because the people around him had known him forever mm-hmm. uh, and worked with him forever uh, Mike Donlin uh, and some of the people uh, they just were not going to stray away from who he was and I still believe who he was was his biggest asset yeah. uh, that the country wasn't looking for uh, a, a, an, an anti-trump screaming and angry at, at the republic you know that they wanted somebody <laughs> who could pull who could pull people together. Um, And I think what happened in the primary was that what most of the other, uh, all of the other uh, candidates didn't get was there was never, no one was looking at the contrast between Bernie and Biden. They weren't looking at the contrast between Kamala and Biden Mm -hmm. or or Booker and Biden or or Mayor Pete and Biden. They were looking at the contrast between Bernie and Trump, Mayor Pete and Trump. Mm kamala and trump and every time one of them took off they the more people looked at that contrast between bernie and trump or elizabeth yeah. and trump <laughs> they went they went nah uh-uh, nope, uh, yeah. that's not that's not right and every time one of them got that shot and then you know like kamala she had a great debate and then every okay, now we're going to start looking at that contrast and people, and it just went away. Yeah. And I think that what happened was, okay, well, let's, I want to look at the contrast between Biden and Trump yeah. and Biden, Biden and his people really knew, I think early on that he, his persona, who he was, his message, what he was talking about uh, in terms of bringing people together, reaching across party lines is is a lot of, Progressives hated some of that when they when they heard it because they wanted to fight Trump. But Biden stuck to it and he never he never really uh, strayed away from that core contrast and that core message. And I and I believe from the beginning that when people when that all came into focus, he would start to really move uh, in South Carolina and Super Tuesday. He did. Um, The rest of the field drifted away. That's all history but then okay now what got him here his contrast with trump mm-hmm. and the, the only thing that could change was would have been if trump could change that contrast <laughs> but but trump's what? incapable of chas- of changing <laughs> that contrast he's incapable of changing who and what he is and so he kept that the that contrast between him and biden was never going to go away uh and so what a lot of people thought it was of boring or not exciting um actually made a lot of uh i think uh suburban republican women um mm-hmm. feel pretty good about yeah i i wouldn't normally vote for a democrat but i, I i'm sick and tired of the chaos and the division and yeah i can uh, this is something i can be for yeah uh, i want to bring the i i I want this to end i want to the, the <laughs> the craziness yes. to end. And if we had nominated somebody too hot or whatever you want to call it, you know, too ideological uh, uh, sort of progressive purity, I don't think they would have. I, I mean, I know from focus groups that, the, that people were just saying, please don't give me, you know, Bernie. I'm talking yeah. about Republicans now. I'm not talking yeah. about yeah. plenty of Democrats wanted wanted Bernie and, and uh, he deserves a lot of credit. A great campaign. But I, that's not it was just not his time. It wasn't mm-hmm. when people were what the country needed and, and had a hunger for. Uh, and Biden um, uh, had that. And I saw part of the reason I could see it was be I had done Jerry Brown's campaign. Right, for right, of California right. Pretty similar
0: dynamic there.
2: Big dynamic. Arnold Schwarzenegger had been the celebrity governor for eight years. People were tired of the chaos of the budget problems and everything. And all they wanted was somebody who could turn on the lights in the state house in sacramento and knew how to get things done and there was Mm -hmm. this yeah they they didn't want gavin newsom back then gavin (laughs) newsom was the young you know rising star of the party was Mm -hmm. running against jerry brown for the nomination i was sort of flabbergasted when i when we started looking at the early research because people were saying no i don't want that i want the guy yeah he's he's old he's been around forever (laughs) But, you know, he will he can fix this. Yeah. And so that's where I thought, I started thinking very early on, Jesus, I mean, it's not fair to Schwarzenegger, he's not Donald Trump.
0: Right, yeah. And Jerry, and <laughs> yeah, Jerry, Jerry Brown's, Brown's not and, quite Joe Biden either.
2: Joe Biden yeah. either. But, but I'm saying the similarity and the right, dynamic right. of the race made me think, uh, gave me a lot of confidence that Biden was going to, you know, when everybody else was, uh, like you said, when you were up there in New Hampshire, and, uh, <laughs> You know, knocking on doors for for the fifth place candidate. When you know, in those dark days, I was still very, very confident that that uh, that Biden would pull it out, and yeah. and not stunned at all. Um, as you know, if you listen to my podcast, that trippy show. Uh, I yep. Put my own <laughs> plug in there, <laughs> uh, if you guys want to give a listen to some of that. Uh, but uh, 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 I, you know, I was pretty confident of that. What I and normally when you see that kind of mm-hmm. big contrast move that's going to end up being you know a a four point not a two or three point race but over four or five points you know which is i think he'll he'll get to four uh over four when it's over normally when you see that you pick up seats um and that's what i'm saying what i didn't see was that that there would be more people who would vote for trump in 2020 than voted for him 2016 i mean Mm -hmm. i think one of the big depressing things about the entire outcome of the election is that um 74 million americans wanted to wanted to keep doing this for another four years that's something i just uh uh and that's that's depressing on a lot of levels it's disturbing on a lot of levels Mm -hmm. uh uh, which also tells me, you know, Trumpism isn't going. Over. First of all, he's not going to go away, and Trumpism isn't going away. Yeah. And uh, that means on January fifth, uh, if we do, whether we pull those two Senate seats in Georgia off or not, I hope we do, and I think we will. Um, January sixth, it's not over. We got to start right then yeah. fighting for twenty twenty two, and it's those Senate seats.
0: Yeah, so wrapping up here then um, in terms of what to do next. and uh, You mentioned there one thing we're all going to do next is go uh, subscribe and listen to That Trippy Show. (laughs) I believe it's on all the podcast platforms. I listen to it on iTunes podcast. It's a great podcast podcast. You've got some, you've had some interesting guests, and you always offer great insights. So the first thing we're all going to do is go listen to that. But the second thing we're all going to do is what, Joe? What, what, what should Joe Biden, President Biden, and Vice President Harris? What should they govern like, and what should the mindset be leading into, like you said, the midterms? Um, because it is going to be an uphill battle. I think, I think everyone recognizes that, um, and we've got some tough races. We've even got some, some tough races here in Connecticut uh, coming up. So what should the mindset of Democrats be as we march forward with at least? Two branches or two, two, two—you know—two parts of the elected branches government.
2: We have to expand and broaden the party. We just yeah. have to. Uh, it's this isn't about well the progressives lost this or the moderates lost it or anything like that. It's like we we have to expand. Look, at what's going on is it, it, it reapportionment. The census already shows that California is going to lose seats. New York's going to lose seats. Guess who's gaining them? Montana. Right. OK, so you take a, a House seat out of California and it goes to Montana. Folks, that's not good. OK, <laughs> now, you no, know, not only that, that changes the Electoral College, makes it even more red right. because the Electoral College is the number of House seats and the Senate seats in a, in a state. Mm-hmm. So California's electoral, which we always count on, those electoral votes, is going down. New York, going down. Montana is going up. Uh, Arizona, I think picks up that, but that's, you know, still going to be a dicey, yep, uh, yep. you're taking it from New York and you're moving it to Texas <laughs> and you're making another New York seat and you're moving it to Arizona. These are not. So one, we've got to expand. Um, we've got to start fighting at the legislative level, uh, better than we have, um, losing those legislatures means they get to redraw the lines. So they're going to redraw the lines for 2022. They're going to be worse for Democrats, mm-hmm. more Republican, and more Republican seats because of reimportionment. So first thing is to recognize one, I think one of the most important uh, appointments Biden is going to make is going to be the DNC chairman. Right. Um, uh, We have to have a real strategic thinker there, I think. Uh, And not, and not like from a wing, just somebody (laughs) who's going to look at, do you have a favorite? No, no, I, I don't, um, uh, I, I, I have tried to prod Simon Rosenberg into doing it, uh, uh, but I don't think he he didn't he hasn't responded. Uh, <laughs> I, I did it I did it on Twitter. But anyway, uh, 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 the the thing I think though is uh, we as as activists uh, uh, need to start immediately looking at twenty twenty two. Where are those Senate seats that we need to pick up? Um, and we need to start realizing, look, you know, I know people complain about Joe Manchin. Is, <laughs> he doesn't he's not progressive enough, but I can tell you what we could negotiate with Joe Manchin. AOC can negotiate with Joe Manchin. She's yeah. going to get everything she wants, but she's going to get we'll, we'll figure something out. You're not going to negotiate with two Republican senators from West Virginia. Right. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So we have to start looking at. uh First seat in North Carolina, for example. What I'm, what I mean is, oh, it sort of, can use that one as a snapshot. Uh, we we can't wait uh, until 2021, uh, late 2021, to say, hey, can we register 200 to 300 thousand more people in North <laughs> yeah. Carolina? We need a DNC and, 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 and a, um, the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee does not sit around. Organizing, get out the vote, and registration drives in places Mm -hmm. like North Carolina. Even though it's going to be a key, a key seat, Burr's seat is going to be open. He's not running for reelection. It's Mm -hmm. North Carolina. We did come close. Can we register two or three hundred thousand people down there during this two-year gap that's uh, that we're in right now? Don't stop on January fifth. No, North Carolina. Do we have a DNC chair uh, at a political apparatus? That's focused on the registration piece. Who's yeah. our candidate going to be? Yeah, maybe we'll have a wild primary. Great, pick somebody, send them money, help them. But we can win, or we have to win. That's what I'm trying to say. We have to win in places like North Carolina, um, in uh, in Georgia. Uh, if we just stay where we're, you know, great uh, two senate seats in California, they're they're erased by two senate seats in Idaho, yeah. uh, and so it is. The Montanas, the Steve Bullocks who who lost, but we've got to be able to compete in those places, and we're not going to be able to compete in those places if we demand some kind of ideological purity um, from the activist base of the Democratic Party. By the way, which I am a card carrying mm-hmm. member of, but mm-hmm. but I learned a long time ago, you know, that not trying to get somebody elected to represent me in the uh, it, in Georgia, I'm trying to get John Osif to represent the people of Georgia right, right. In, in the U.S. Senate. And that's what we have to take that attitude, I think,
0: uh, to yeah. be successful. Awesome. Outstanding. Well, that's great advice. Uh, Joe Trippi, a guy who started his political career uh, primary and incumbent Democratic president, uh, yep. still still an upstart to this day, uh, is a CNN political commentator, a legend of Democratic politics. And we, we thank him a lot for joining us today on Connecticut's to CT Democrats podcast. Joe, thanks for being here. No, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Well, Dave, uh, you know, talking to Joe Trippi as you know a young person in the field, talking to a person who's so, so experienced, it was really, really um, a humbling experience. And it was a really honor to talk to him. And again, uh, check out his podcast, uh, which is much bigger than our podcast for now. Uh, that Trippi Show on uh, iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts.
1: That's a good title. He came up. i not that our, we came up with a good title, too. Thanks to Stephen Colbert. But that's a good title <laughs> for Joe
0: Trippi. Yes, it is.
1: We'll just keep going from there you can often hear uh susan bigelow on the wheelhouse and other connecticut-based podcasts as well basically everybody's got a podcast right is that the way this works Matt?
0: i think so and I, you know i gotta say if susan's listening to this uh i'm awaiting my invitation to get on the wheelhouse that's like being called up to the majors there <laughs> um, so and, and i guess on that point too we should also say a connecticut news junkie and the ct mirror and wnpr um all of our local news um are aren't facing some hard times right now we had the news the other day that Hartford current buildings closing. And so uh, as the holiday season comes up, a little PSA from the team here at the CT Dems. Um, if you can, uh, give someone a subscription, buy yourself a subscription, ask for a subscription, um, to do whatever you can to support uh, our local news organizations.
1: And also CT Dems, we can uh, take your donations as well. We're always looking for them. Check out ctdems.org for all that information. We also have a bunch of good fundraisers coming up, uh, including our Donuts with Dodd series. Chris Dodd talking to uh, national figures on a nice morning coffee and some political conversation, a great way to help support us.
0: Well, I'll be there for sure. And I hope uh, to see a lot of you guys there as well. So thank you so much for listening. We are back. We'll be back with uh, semi-regular podcasts, uh, you know, <laughs> focusing more on broader conversations like these. So stay subscribed, tell a friend about it, and we'll see you next time on Ketocrats, the CT Democrats podcast.